Our scripture reading today comes from Judges uh, chapter 16. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the city and the gateposts, and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him, and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and and with what I may bind you to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now the men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave seven locks of my head into a web in the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was so vexed to death that he told her all of his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his great strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair on his head began to grow again as if it after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. 
and they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. And the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines, and he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel for 20 years. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is true, which never changes. Lord, I pray that this word would be life to the speaker and hearer alike. Lord, we pray for our young people as they go to um, youth church. I pray that you'd bless them, keep them, and that you'd make your face shine upon them. I pray that they would grow to be men and women after your heart, that they will seek you, serve you, and love you. Lord, we thank you for our youth, and we thank you for the work that you're doing. I pray for their leaders, that you'd bless them as they lead them, as they guide them. I pray that you'd give them wisdom and guidance. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful young people you've given us. We give you praise and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. You are released to go entourage. Thank you for being patient. All right, so we are coming to the end of the story of Samson, one of the most popular stories in Judges. Um, and this part is the most popular part. So Ryan left the most popular part for me to do. Um, and um, I, I just want us to think about it in terms of this is the downfall. This is the end for Samson. And I want us to reflect on that and think about that. I'm just going to run through a few things that we see as we go in Samson's life, what we read, and then I will go into um, what it means for us today. So we see Samson first um, in Gaza. Samson is obviously in sin in this place. He's walking in disobedience. Secondly, Gaza, for him to get to Gaza, he has to walk through a long Philistine way. So he deliberately walks into the Philistines' um, land so that he gets to Gaza. And he sees a harlot there and he goes into her. Where do we see that example again? Was it last week where we saw Samson walking through the grapevine again where he's not supposed to walk? Deliberately walking through those places. This is Samson. Samson is deliberately and clearly walking in sin when we see him here. Then the second part we see, second scene we see is Delilah. He meets Delilah and Delilah agrees to betray Samson. It says that, it says in scripture that he loved a woman whose name was Delilah. No, that's kids church. They're having fun. Don't worry about it. Um, Samson Samson fell in love again for this woman, and he fell in love for a completely wrong woman again. So this is another example of the pain and the ruin that comes to Samson because he did not guard his heart. Then we see Samson again. He lies to Delilah three times. 
Delilah says, please tell me where your great strength lies. And then second time, please, that you may be bound and we may afflict you. And she tried all those things. I mean, all the three times, I'm sure Samson should have known that she's up to no good. So if the first time she bound him as a way to take away his strength, maybe, oh, maybe she wanted to see what happens. Yeah, but the second time, seriously? And the third time? Surely there's something that is happening here. Samson has given his heart to Delilah without even thinking about it. I mean, three times she tries and she tells him each time, so that you may be afflicted. Let me bind, I'll bind you. And then he, she does that. No lover does that, tricks you with, the, with death. Somebody who cares about you would not trick you with something that would kill you, really. Oh, imagine, um, I'm going to use people that I know so it doesn't become a, a scandal. Imagine Jill says to Brian, oh, Brian, if I put red poison in your food, let's see what's going to happen. And she puts it. That means that Jill does not love Brian. Am I right? And she would never do that. <laughs> but it's people that I know that I can make examples of. That's the thing here with Samson. We see a man who is seeing all those things and he still gives up. Then the last time she says, oh, how can you say you love me? If you have not told me the truth, if your heart is not with me, how can you say you do not love me? And then Samson told her all his heart. That was the big mistake. That's the sad scene of it. When Samson gives all in this ungodly relationship, he opens his heart up to her. And the Philistines come and they grab Samson. But the funny thing is, before that happens, he says, he thinks, oh, I will go out as before. I know I'm strong. I will do like I've always done. I have, I have defied God by the dead body. I have defied God by walking through the grapevine. I have defied God by wanting to marry Philistines. I have defied God by living amongst the Philistines. I have defied God, and he has always given me what I want. The last time I prayed to him, I said, oh, I am so thirsty after giving me this victory. Give me water. And he gave me what I want. So I will go as before. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him, as the scripture says. What a sad thing when we don't recognize when the power is gone. The shell might be left. But the power inside the shell that makes it blow is gone. A dog might still be a dog at 30 years old, but it has no teeth. It might look scary. People might be scared of it, but there is no power. There is no danger in it anymore because it's got no teeth. And Samson was in that situation where the shell of a man is left. And then it happens... Let me not get ahead of myself because I get too excited. <laughs> Samson then is imprisoned by the Philistines. They take him, they gorge his eyes out. I think it was feeding for Samson. His eyes had led him astray. And so it's, they are gorged out, taken out. He's brought into bondage. He's a slave. The deliverer becomes a slave. They bound him with bronze fetters. They 
I don't think they even needed to use bronze fetters. They could have used any ropes. He was a man just like them now. But they bound him in case they used bronze fetters and bound him. He didn't humble himself in God. He didn't seek freedom in God. And he ended up in slavery. When we don't seek freedom in God, we end up in slavery. But in that process, God has grace. His hair begins to grow again. So, if this was a kid's church lesson, I would most probably use my hair as an example of, well, I've not cut my hair for six years. Imagine Samson have not cut his hair for life. And he tells us here that Samson then, his hair began to grow again in the dungeon where he was. And then we see Samson in prayer. This is the second time ever that Samson prays, and the last time that he ever prays. He's got three chapters. Is it three or four? Three chapters about him. He's the one who's got the most real estate, as Ryan said the other week, in the book of Judges. But he only has two prayers. And this is his last prayer. And his prayer is like, Oh Lord, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, Lord, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Do you see what's very common in his prayer? Me, I, his last prayer too. I will die of thirst. Give me water. A man that is selfish. Some characteristics that we see of Solomon here. Solomon is a soul ranger. He's a lone ranger. Texas ranger. He's the lone ranger. He walks by himself. He's Chuck Norris, man. He does things by himself. He doesn't need anyone else. We see him like that. He's rebellious to God. And by the way, I say Chuck Norris, and some of you think, How, what does that mean? But I mean, he's a Chuck Norris. Who lifts up gates of a city that are made of iron that it took? I don't know how. You guys must, might think the gates were like the gates that we have here at, the, at this door here. No, no. Those were strong, mighty gates. Those were iron-held-down things. They, they were huge, and he lifts them up. That's Chuck Norris, man. That's Chuck Norris right there. A guy who walks around with hair that he has not cut for, I don't know whether he was 20 or 30 years. That's Chuck Norris. I, I tell you. I, my hair is heavy. There are times where I'm like, ooh, especially when it's wet. And there is Samson who just goes one way and it happens. He is Chuck Norris. So he's rebellious to God and not only God but to authority in his parents. His parents told him earlier, you can't marry, can you not find a woman amongst your people? He's rebellious. He's a man who loves to preserve himself, self-preservation. Most of his fights are about him and saving himself. It's saving himself from the Philistines, not saving Israel. His goal, yes, God uses it to save Israel, but his goal is to save himself. If you read, read it again, tell me a part where you find where he's just doing things that have got nothing to do with saving himself. Self-preservation. Self-gratification. He gets what he wants. 
He's a man mastered by his appetites, especially sexual appetite that is untamed. He's a man lacking self-control, which leads to an unfulfilled mission. He's selfish in his prayers, even at death. He wants to live with the Philistines, and he wants to die with them. That's Samson. So Samson shows us as the church, I'm going to come to what it means to us. Samson shows us the church that there is a danger in underestimating our own sinfulness. When we look at our sin and turn a blind eye, we look at our sin and wink at it. There is a danger in doing that. He thought and he figured that everything was under control. Sin feels like sometimes something that we like, oh, I've got it in control. I don't need to talk to anyone about it. I don't need to share it with the brother. I don't need to bring it to light. I've got it under control. And the moment you think you've got it under control, you don't. It's growing. Look at Samson's life. And, and, and as we look at Samson, I want you to think about him. Samson is the great conqueror who, was, who never allowed God to conquer him. And so he was conquered by his enemies. And he was conquered by his sin, and he was conquered by his lusts and the things that he wanted. So I want us to bring, I want to bring an awareness to us of the dangers of dilly-dallying with sin. We see that in Samson's life. Number one, sin feeds and thrives in us feeling that we are powerful. When we feel that we are powerful, sin feeds on that and thrives on that and it becomes huge on that when we think the more we become powerful the less tempted we are that's a problem that's not true the more powerful we are the more tempted we become the more we have at our disposal to use the more tempted we are to gain more same thing with sin The more influence, the more prestige we possess, the more temptable we are. That's why Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. In weakness, we realize our need for God. But when we feel powerful, we don't see the need for God. That's what we see. Samson does not have the sense to realize that I need God. He has the sense to say, I can do this. I have done it before. Sin feeds and thrives in our sense of power. Secondly, sin grows and festers and flourishes in isolation. It's like cockroaches, man. That when it's dark, the cockroaches have, I mean, the greatest time. Put the, put the lights out, the roaches are all over. Turn the light on and they scatter. Sin grows, festers, and flourishes in that isolation of darkness. Samson was always alone. Samson tried to walk this walk alone. Believers who try to walk alone are putting themselves in danger. I've always used this example, and I'll use it again. 
that when, when the lions are hunting buffaloes, buffaloes is a big, I mean, water buffaloes are, are huge. They are huge animals. So really, one lion can't really take down a water buffalo, really. Um, it would, yeah, it's a battle to death. One, yeah, one lion can be trampled and killed by a buffalo. So they hunt in packs. So what they do when they are hunting for a buffalo, buffalo is the biggest, is the biggest prize. When they are hunting for the biggest prize, what they do, buffaloes go in heads. They don't go like singles, unless if it's a male buffalo that has got issues. As, you know, you know how we do it. You know how we go. You know how guys go. Here's this guy. Here's a Samson. Unless there is a Samson who walks on his own, but they know as well that that Samson is dangerous just by himself. So what happens is what they do, their strategy is to isolate the buffaloes, the one buffalo, target one of them and isolate it from the head. And so they try by all means to cause confusion and isolate. They don't just run into the head and jump on one because they will be killed. They isolate it. They make sure that the other buffaloes are nowhere close to it. The other buffaloes, if, you, if you've seen this, the other buffaloes come and try and save this one. But the lions try keep them at bay because they know they can get hurt. I've seen videos of a buffalo that takes a lion up by its horns and throws it up in the sky and it drops down and it's injured for life. So buffaloes are dangerous. But so what it does, what the lions do is they separate it. And they come after that one that is separated. Isolation is pride. When we isolate ourselves, we are walking in pride and we are walking straight into the arms of the enemy. Church, when you walk away from fellowship with others, when you walk away from relationship with others that God has called you to be with, you are putting yourself in danger. There is danger when we try to do this alone. We are not made to do this alone. Isolation is an enemy of spiritual strength. It separates you from God, but also it separates you from the people that God has put around you that he would use to guard you, to guide you, to lead you, to grow you. Even the people that you don't like, they are there to stretch you. And to grow you. So there is use for everybody. We are not all strong at the same time. And we are not all weak at the same time. So as a family of God. We are there for each other when, we are, when, we, when one is weak. And we are there as well. We give our strength to the one who is weak when they are weak. And the other way around too when the other one is weak. That is why we are called to be together. Don't be too strong for your boots. And walk by yourself. You will be prey to the enemy. Number three. Sin is luring. And it's very deceptive because it looks beautiful. It looks amazing. It is satisfying. It is all that. It's airbrushed. My uh, previous pastor back home used to say, the, ground look, the grass looks green on the other side until you get there and you realize, no, it's fake grass that's painted green. And that's what the enemy does. He takes the field that is not producing and he paints it green. And you look on from the other side and you're like, oh yeah, wonderful green pastures. I'm going to go there. 
Remember as well that the enemy disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. So be careful that you're not lured by the beauty of what you see. We spoke about the, the rapping. The devil is very good with rapping. Oh, man. He can take... Oh, man. I don't know if I can say this. I said it last week and I got in trouble because my son said, Oh, daddy said poop at church. But he can take dog poop and cover it nicely and make it look beautiful on the outside and give it. There is a gift for you and you're like, oh, yes. But when you open it, it stinks. So be careful of the things that look too beautiful on the outside. It's the inside that matters. It's what is in the inside. Sin presents itself as a beautiful thing. Think about adultery. Presents itself as a beautiful thing. Sweet water that is stolen is amazing. That's how it presents itself. So he lays, the devil lays ahead of us a hook of beauty to ensnare us. Unfortunately, he corrupts the beauty that God created to do that. Because we're created by God who loves beauty. And in that beauty, God had created us to recognize it and to connect with him through that beauty. But the enemy has taken it and he uses it. Number four. If you seek after sin, if you follow after it, it will find you and you will find it. You'll find each other. Why do I see, say that? Genesis 4, 7b says sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. That's God speaking, God himself speaking. He says sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue and master it. If you seek it, it will be there. If you be like Samson and you walk through the vine, the vine when you know you're not supposed to, and you walk through the Philistines' land and look around when you know you're not supposed to, you'll find it. I, I love the way that the 410 ladies do it, that they say, we don't want guys in our team that go with us. We are going as ladies because we know that if we take a guy there, sin would lure them. They would walk into the club and like, ah... All right, let's hold the Bible. Oh, so there's a reason why that those things don't happen. There's wisdom in that. Do not walk into a trap thinking that I've got it. Do not put yourself deliberately in a place of sin thinking you have it. You don't have it. I don't have it. Avoid it. That is why the Bible says flee. We walk away. We flee from that. And again, we are told in Romans, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Number five, sin aims for the heart. Samson's life, sin aimed for the heart. If you really love me, you will tell me the power. How can you say you love me if you have not told me? Let me read it. How can you say I love you? When your heart is not with me, you have mocked me all these three times. And you have told me, you have not told me where your great strength lies. And she pressed him hard with her words day after day, urged him. His soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. 
Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. When our heart is not kept with diligence, sin aims for it. Sin aims for the heart. It aims for the love. Oh, it's just love. You love her more than your wife. You love her more than your husband. It's just love. Sin aims for the heart. Keep your heart with all diligence, church. But in all this, we see God's grace. There's good news. God is gracious. Sometimes sin can be a means the consequences of sin, our consequences can be a means of grace that God redeems us through. And we see that in the life of Samson. Samson, I, I strongly believe that God let Samson's eyes be gouged out so he would not lose his soul. Because if you look at it from then, Samson started to see clearly. And the hair started to grow again. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that if your eye makes you sin, pluck it out, gorge it out. Am I right? And it sounds very crazy. It sounds too much. And here we meet Samson. His eyes are gorged out. They are gorged out for his good. When Samson was blind, that's when he started to see more clearly. He was no longer led Aside by his temptation, he was able to follow the Lord. God's discipline might be hard in time of consequence. It's hard. Especially when you've intentionally ignored him. It's really hard. But these warnings that we have are there to keep us from experiencing the destruction and death that comes with sin. If you think that you'll continue to walk yourself into temptation walk into it and not get consequences, you've got something coming for you. The eye will be gouged out one way or the other. It's either you do it or the Lord does it for you. In Samson's case, the Lord had to do it for him. And that was hard. Hebrews 3.13 tells us, brothers and sisters, as long it's called today, be sure that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It can harden our hearts to hear what God is calling us to do. I encourage you, you and me, I encourage you and me to be examples of what Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, stay alert. Watch out, your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a lion looking for somebody to devour. Listen to how Eugene puts it in the message. He says, keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce, and he would like nothing better than catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You are not the only ones who are plunged in these hard times. It is the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip. On faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before the generous God who has plans for us in Christ, the eternal glorious plans that are, will have you put together on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he gets the last word. But be watchful. Be careful.
careful. As you walk around, the enemy is waiting. He's crouching at the door. Being care- we, we need to be very careful because if we are careless, we are putting ourselves into the enemy's hand. Christians, there is no time to slumber. It's time to watch as we walk. Watch as we walk. Watch our walk. Be careful in our walk. Look what you are doing. Be careful about it. Pay attention to it. Don't think I've got this covered. The enemy is described as one who outwits, outsmarts. He's a sly tricker and a schemer. Be wise. Be watchful. As I've said, do not think that I've got it. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, 13 is an example for us to not think that we've got it. Now all these things happened to them as examples and were written for our nation, upon whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he falls. Then he goes on to grace. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to men. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation make a way to escape so you may be able to bear it. That's me and you. That's the God we serve. In the midst of this temptation, he had, he had other ways that Samson could have walked in. He had ways of escape for Samson, but he did not take them. And I ask you and me, because these stories were written for us as a reminder to show us, as an example to us, on what we need not to do and what we need to do. Samson obviously is a not to do. So I'm asking you and me, as we think about this, as we are careful where we walk, as we realize that pride of saying I've got this can get us down, I want us to think about that there is no temptation that has taken us that is not common to men, but God, but God, but God is faithful. He will not, he would not just allow, the, the, the other scriptures say allow, the King James says, he will not suffer you. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But with the temptation, he will make a way to escape. So we may be able to bear it. A few things to think about as we close. I would like the worship team to start coming forward. A few things to think about as we close is that spiritual apathy for us. And Ryan spoke about it two weeks ago, about, no, a week ago, about Samson's spiritual apathy. When we are very apathetic in our spiritual growth, in our spiritual walk as believers, it leads to open rebellion. It starts as a small thing that we're like, ah, yeah. But it leads to open rebellion towards God. And open rebellion does not lead to anything else but trouble. When self-interest is the biggest thing in our lives, just like Samson, when we are worried about self more than anything else, we will find problems. And when we find problems, those problems will come at the hands of other people who are seeking the same thing as we are seeking, who have the same motivation. And I encourage you, Broadway, today, let us not squander 
our God-given gifts and calling while we indulge in self-gratifying and self-seeking things. There's a song that I asked the worship team to do after this. It's been in my heart since I started writing this. And it was written by, um, by Robert Robertson. It's Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I'm going to read these words, and I want you to think about them. And as you think about them, I want to maybe give you a little bit of a background. This, this man was a wanderer himself. He went from one denomination to another, one church to another. And he wrote this song. And one day, a story that is told, which we don't know if it's true or not, but it's told that he was riding a stagecoach, and a lady asked him what, she, what he thought of the hymn that she was humming. She was humming his song. And he responded, Madam, I am a poor, unhappy man. Sorry, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote this hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them, to enjoy the feelings I had then when I wrote this. He wrote this in realization of where he was with God. And he says, if I could give many more, I would give them. I would give more and more worlds to give. I would give thousand worlds to know, to have my heart know that I need this fount of blessing. It says, come thou fount of blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by the flames, the flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed on it, mount of thy redeeming grace. There's, a, there's some verses that we usually don't sing, but it's okay. Sorrow, I shall be in spirit, Till released from the flesh and sin, yet from what I do inherit, here thy praises I begin. Here I sing my Ebenezer. Here my great help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. These are the most, the next two are the my most important to me at this time um, verses that he wrote. He says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering away from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposited by his precious blood, how his kindness yet pursues me, mortal tongue can never tell, clothed in flesh till death shall lose me, I cannot proclaim it well. Then he says, all to grace a greater debtor, daily I'm constrained to be, let thy goodness, like a feather, bind my wandering heart to thee. My heart is prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. Here is my heart. Take it and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Broadway, may this be our prayer today. May we realize that if our hearts are sealed for his courts above, when they are bound with the fetter that God gives to bind our hearts to his, we are safe. Safety comes in our hearts being surrendered to God.